0: This is cited. I'm Gordon Cattop. This week, we continue with our little run of environmental stories. Over the last two weeks, you heard a story about GMO corn, but really it was about something called the precautionary principle. It's an idea in liberal environmental thought that helps us understand how to deal with risk and scientific uncertainty. Let's do another environmental idea here, but let's get a bit more concrete. I'm not talking about abstract legal principles or environmental ideals. I'm talking about environmental planning. The fact of the matter is sea levels are rising. You already know this. So unless you wanna just drown, well, there's two ways you can deal with this. You can hold the line, or you can do something experts call managed retreat. We can't hold the line everywhere because we just don't have the resources to build a big enough seawall to protect every single inch of the shore. This means we're gonna have to do a lot of retreating. We're gonna have to move entire communities eventually. But what does that look like? Well, we bring you one story, I'd call it the poster child of Managed Retreat. It's not the story of moving an entire town, it's just the story of one lighthouse, which is what makes it so frightening, really. Because this is just a very, very small preview. This is a preview of how experts will make these very utilitarian decisions about who stays and who goes. Well. What happens if you fall on the wrong side of their ledger? Note, this is a rebroadcast. We'll have a new episode of Cited for You next week. We originally told this story in January 2018. We did it with the podcast 99% Invisible, hosted by Roman Mars, which is why you'll hear Roman co-hosting the program with me.
1: Off the coast of North Carolina, there's a thin stretch of islands called the Outer Banks. Picture a narrow ribbon of sand that runs along the coast for 200 miles. These islands are three miles across at their widest, and only 200 yards at their narrowest.
0: And there's one part of the Outer Banks that used to be especially treacherous for ships. It's called Cape Hatteras.
1: That's reporter Gordon Caddick of a podcast called Sighted.
0: The Cape is known for choppy seas and strong ocean currents. Since the 16th century, these waves have caused a lot of shipwrecks, over a thousand according to the National Park Service. The area has become known as the
1: Graveyard of the Atlantic. So many sailors were dying that in the late 1700s, Congress authorized the construction of a giant lighthouse. It would illuminate the dangerous passage and make the Outer Banks less deadly. The lighthouse went up in a small town called Buxton, North Carolina, right near Cape Hatteras. And the people of
0: Buxton, they love this lighthouse. Generations of families there have helped maintain it.
2: You know, it's what your grandfather did. It's what your great-grandfather did. This is Danny
0: Couch. He's descended from English pirates, and his family goes back nine generations
1: in North Carolina. Today, Danny leads tours of the Outer Banks. Gordon went on one of those tours last summer.
2: But uh, we've got three maritime symbols in this country. Number one, the Statue of Liberty. Number two, the Golden Gate Bridge. And then number three, the Granddaddy of American Lighthouse, 208 feet tall, the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. Bathroom's on the right. We can leave anything you need on board. We don't have any crime here.
0: (laughs) It is pretty majestic. It's got a. uh... Red base and a really tall black and white spirally paint job, sort of like a black and white candy cane. And I see some people on top. It's a little observation deck. There's a crowd of people waiting outside. Right, guys, a park ranger is standing near the entrance. That's here. because this is all a national park. Uh, this is the tallest brick lighthouse in North America that you all are about to climb today. So. Hope everybody's ready to climb. It is a strenuous climb today. It's hard to overstate just how important this lighthouse is to the people of Buxton. There are three lighthouse gift shops in town. Practically every business here has a lighthouse in its logo or its name, like the Lighthouse View Motel, or the Lighthouse Sports Bar and Grill. Even the churches, like the Lighthouse Christian Assembly.
1: But back in the 70s, it looked like Buxton might lose their beloved lighthouse. The sea was getting closer and closer, threatening to swallow it up, and people were torn over what to do – move the lighthouse, or leave it in place and try to defend it against the forces of nature. For the next 30 years, the people of Buxton fought an intense political battle over this decision. It's the kind of battle we can expect to see a lot more of as sea levels rise and threaten coastal communities around the world.
0: It all started with a scientist who had a radical idea about what to do with the lighthouse. an idea almost nobody liked. Let it fall
3: in. Nothing is so important that it can't fall into the sea. Why don't you introduce yourself Orn? oh yeah i'm I'm uh, Orrin Pilkey. I'm a retired marine
0: geologist who started out in the deep sea and ended up uh, on the beaches. Orin Pilkey is a professor emeritus at Duke University. He typically wears short sleeve button-up shirts with two or three pens in the front pocket. And he studies beaches. But there aren't any beaches at Duke because Duke is right in the middle of the state. So in the 1980s, Orin would pack his students into a bus and head east, all the way to the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse.
3: It's usually a pretty exciting place. The average wave height at Cape Hatteras is higher than anywhere else on the East Coast, except possibly northern Maine.
1: Oren would tell his students that the waves at Cape Hatteras don't just calmly roll onto shore. They slam into it and spray up into the air.
0: While his students stared out into the water, Oren explained, these waves are washing away the beach we're standing on, and soon they'll reach the lighthouse. The shoreline of the Outer Banks, the entire shoreline of the Outer Banks is... uh, is
3: eroding and um, partly this is simply a matter of the waves pecking away at the continent. 90 percent of the world's beaches are eroding some very very slightly and, and some very quickly.
1: The beach in front of the lighthouse can erode fast. The rates vary wildly from decade to decade. Sometimes the coast loses 50 feet a year. Other times the beach actually gains sand. It's an erratic natural process. But Warren says climate change is also part of the story. It's speeding up the erosion process.
0: For decades, a bunch of different government agencies have been fighting back against the sea. They tried barriers to slow the waves. They put down a wall of sandbags. They even tried this thing called beach nourishment. That's just a fancy way of saying pumping a ton of sand onto the shore. And they had some other inventive ideas too. They put in what they call seascape. It was plastic, strips of plastic that floated. Strips were supposed to act like seaweed and keep the sand from washing away. And here it was. This is a very cheap
3: way to stop erosion at Cape Hatteras
0: Lighthouse, but it
1: didn't even begin to work. In fact, none of this stuff worked. After decades of fighting back against the waves, the ocean was getting dangerously close to the lighthouse, less than half a football field away.
3: Basically, we would uh, stand beside the lighthouse and see how this precious historic structure was due to fall in. I mean, it was easy to see where a good storm would have taken out the lighthouse.
0: It would have to be a Whimlinger storm, but it had gotten to that stage. And so in 1974, Oren wrote an academic article. He said, we've tried pretty much everything to protect this lighthouse. It's time to give up. He wrote, quote, "...it is difficult but necessary to come to grips with the ultimate result of living with nature at the shoreline." And then he started telling the people of Buxton to let the lighthouse go.
1: Which made them really mad.
3: The whole idea of letting things fall in was, was absolutely outrageous. Of course we're going to defend us. We're, as one corps of engineer colonel said, we're not just going to hold up our hands and slink away." <laughs>
1: Most North Carolinians did not want to see the lighthouse fall into the sea. In 1981, a photographer and conservationist named Hugh Morton started a group called Save the Lighthouse. School children across the state raised money to support the group, and they recruited prominent North Carolinians, like university presidents, business leaders, and politicians.
0: Danny, the tour guide from the beginning of the story, he became the local
2: representative for Save the Lighthouse. In terms of uniting political philosophies and uh, you know, contradictory elements of society, developers and environmentalists, everybody can rally around the Cape Outers Lighthouse. And that was essentially the essence of what was going on. Nothing else mattered. It was to do right by that lighthouse and our heritage in this country.
1: Eventually, Danny settles on one big idea. Build a solid concrete wall all the way around the lighthouse.
2: I think you can pick and choose your fights with Mother Nature. You're not gonna win all of them. You gotta pick a fight that you can win.
3: Ah, yes. That was a, it was a very common attitude in those days, but my idea was to live with nature at the shoreline.
0: Oren thought the seawall would be extremely expensive and ultimately counterproductive. Well,
3: seawalls, this is one of the more controversial things that I was saying, others too, that seawalls destroy beaches.
0: Oren had maps and diagrams of the East Coast, and they showed that seawalls made erosion happen even faster. He argued that that's exactly what would happen at the lighthouse. A wall would make the beach smaller and smaller. So now you're a beach community without a
1: beach. With this seawall plan, the lighthouse would eventually become a walled island out in the water. Not ideal, but even if you were fine with that, the wall probably wouldn't hold. Oren said it's hard to imagine building a seawall strong enough for the waves at Cape Hatteras.
3: They have lots of big storms at the Cape. Unless the seawall is going to be half the size of the lighthouse, the storm surge would top over the seawall and, and uh, top
0: of the lighthouse. Then one day, Orrin met an engineer named Dave Fischetti. Dave said, look, people don't want the lighthouse to fall in— we don't want a seawall, but there's a compromise. That thing can be moved. It's around 200 feet tall, about one and a quarter million bricks and 4,800 tons. But
1: believe it or not, engineers have moved bigger buildings. This presented a pretty good opportunity for Oren. He could use the lighthouse to test something that planners call managed retreat. The idea is that as sea levels rise, we won't be able to defend every coast with a giant wall. Instead, we're going to have to make plans to abandon certain areas and move some things out of the way. Oren thought if Buxton could be convinced to move this big lighthouse, it might show that managed retreat is doable.
0: So he and Dave Fischetti, along with one of Oren's students, Dave Bush, formed their own group. They called themselves the Move the Lighthouse Committee.
3: We met together a lot, and we produced a blizzard of papers documenting things about erosion and things about moving buildings, and mainly aimed at the, at the media. So
0: why did, you, why did you care so much to spend so much of your time? Yeah, well, it became a challenge, of course. It became
3: a—and uh, I, guess, I, I guess I got emotionally involved also. I wasn't
0: going to let that lighthouse fall in in spite of that first article of mine. So now you got these two groups. They both want to preserve the lighthouse, but they're debating how. Ultimately, it's up to Congress and the National Park Service, because this is
1: federal property. So the two groups are trying to
0: convince the feds that they have the better
1: plan. The town of Buxton flatly rejected Oren's move idea. A local magazine did a poll. Over 90% of residents wanted to keep the lighthouse in place. Many were offended by the very idea of retreat. Hugh Morton said retreating from the shoreline would be, quote, ceding man's historic battle against nature and it would make Buxton the laughingstock of the coast.
0: Danny's group, that's Save the Lighthouse, they felt confident they could win this fight, and they didn't like these outsiders telling them
2: otherwise. It was a situation of, uh, you know, again, where the local people kind of claim ownership of that. And how dare somebody with some out-of-state plates come in here and want to tell these poor dwellers on these shifting, lonely sands what to do with their lighthouse. I mean, we, uh, we're not afraid to pick a fight. We're very independent people.
0: Danny told me a story to explain the tension between Oren's group and the locals. He said there was a Duke grad student who would drive down to give talks in Buxton. Danny remembered meeting him one day.
2: And he proceeded to waltz into a gas station that I was running at the time, filling station, automotive repair shop. And we're changing out uh, semi-tires for for uh, tractor trailers and stuff. And he starts wagging his finger, <laughs> his finger in my face. Don't you know that this lighthouse, we're gonna lose this lighthouse and y'all are obstructionists, y'all are, you, you are, not y'all, he didn't use, he wasn't a y'all. He said, you are holding this up, you're holding this project up. And I'm standing there with, like, a tire iron in my hand.
1: Oren and his group had a serious credibility problem in Buxton, and they understood why people like Danny were upset.
3: Of course, yeah, of course we were outside. We were from, from way far away in Durham. And uh,
0: but Did this ever give you pause?
3: I suppose so. Going into a community and saying, hey, I know the truth. And that's, uh, I, I felt that uh, there was a bit of arrogance in that, but but what was the choice? I didn't know anything about how, how you deal with people. I guess in in this sense, I I, I understood sometimes that I was uh, speaking over their head, they
0: saying things that they they did not understand or did not want to understand. And there were other reasons people didn't like Oran's group. Many worried the lighthouse was so big and so old that it would break if you tried to move it. Others had strong feelings about the location of the lighthouse. They said it would lose historical value in a new
1: spot. And then there were also some big money interests. Business owners and real estate developers thought a move would hurt their bottom line. If you own something with a name like the Lighthouse View Motel, and then people move the lighthouse out of view, well, you can see the problem.
0: Throughout the 80s and 90s, there were lots of scientific committees, commissions, studies, and reports. They all decided that moving the lighthouse was the best idea. But that didn't do much to convince the locals.
1: Except for these two local lighthouse historians, Bruce and Cheryl Roberts.
4: Bruce? Come on in. Nice to meet you. Yeah. How are you doing? You're right on time. Yeah.
0: Cheryl wasn't around when I met Bruce. She was busy working on her new lighthouse book.
4: My wife does most of the writing, and I take pictures of lighthouses. I've actually photographed almost every American lighthouse. Bruce and Cheryl have basically turned their
0: home into a shrine for lighthouses. They've got over 100 lighthouse books. There's a bunch of miniature lighthouses scattered about. I see countless lighthouse paintings and pictures. And in their study, there's a giant three-panel room divider. It looks like one of those Japanese screens only it's got the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse painted
4: on it. There is something about a lighthouse, I think, that, that um, is special. Uh, and particularly Hatteras, it's the best, best known one.
1: Back at the time of the controversy, Bruce and Cheryl were writing a book about the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. That's when they started to do some research.
4: We had read the reports that uh, the lighthouse would be lost, and we talked to some of the, of the scientists who had studied this, and made an interesting discovery. The scientists told them that the
0: lighthouse sits on yellow pine timbers. They're submerged in a pool of fresh
1: water. It's a strange design. The builder who constructed the lighthouse knew that if he kept those beams in fresh water, they'd be preserved. And his plan had worked for over
0: 100 years. But here's the problem. The ocean was coming closer and closer to the lighthouse. And the ocean is filled with microorganisms that could degrade the wood. If the salt water seeped into the foundation, the beams would rot.
4: And that was the reason that Cheryl and I realized that that, um, if nothing else happened, the lighthouse would begin to tip as that wood foundation was eaten away. We actually went and talked to several of the scientists who had signed the study saying it had to be moved. And we got convinced that they knew what they were doing and that it could be done.
0: This was a huge get for team Move the Lighthouse. Bruce and Cheryl weren't technocratic outsiders. They were lighthouse fanatics, and they were saying, "Look, like it or not, the scientists are actually right."
1: Then, in 1996, two major hurricanes hit North Carolina: Hurricane Bertha and Hurricane Fran.
3: North Carolina and you know, Ocracoke Island and Hatteras Island are under an
1: evacuation mandate. And
3: with the waves pelting over the dunes, there likely won't be much beach here tomorrow.
1: Hurricanes were becoming more frequent and more intense, and this created a new sense of urgency. So in 1997, Congress started planning a potential move.
0: 17 years after Save the Lighthouse formed, and after almost two decades of debate, a public meeting was held to discuss the move. It was organized by a U.S. senator from North Carolina, as well as a state senator from the region. It was April 1998, About 400 people filed into an aquarium, the largest building in the Outer Banks. Children were bused in from every school. There were 11 news crews there reporting on the event. The people of Buxton knew the fate of the lighthouse might be decided here, today.
2: They had their move it or lose it signs, and then the others were like, save, not move. This guy came up to me, grabbed me by the arm, said, here's your sticker. And I looked at it and it said, move
1: it or lose it. I don't want that damn sticker. Politicians and their aides watched as people got up to testify for each side.
2: Every time somebody said something uh, that was beneficial to their side, they would uh, erupt in cheers like you were some the Roman Colosseum with a bunch of gladiators.
1: And Bruce, who was there along with Danny, thought the crowd was clearly against the lighthouse move.
2: Uh,
4: I, I think I felt that uh,
1: we were going to lose. Bruce went back home feeling defeated. He was convinced Congress was not going to fund the move. And
4: I think the next day or two, uh, I heard the phone ring back in the office, and Cheryl
1: went back and and I heard her say, oh, yes, Senator. (laughs) North Carolina State Senator Mark Bassnight was on the other end of the phone. He said... Before the meeting, I supported moving the lighthouse, but then I saw just how unpopular that was, and now I don't think I can do it.
4: And I said, wait a minute.
1: Here's Cheryl.
4: Do you know about that timber that's the foundation and the danger of its collapsing? He said, no. I said, well, then, Mark, you should not be making a decision in this matter. You need to listen more to the facts.
1: Cheryl told the senator about the pine boards in the salt water. She told him, if we don't move it, the lighthouse might just fall over.
4: And he he's listened to her for an hour, hour and a half. And she won him over. His eyes had to be open. He had to know the facts, the scientific facts.
1: This was the critical moment. Cheryl got the senator back on board, and he urged Congress to act fast. A few months later, Congress funded the move. In a
0: last-ditch effort, the local county sued, but they lost. It was a stinging reminder that even though it may have felt like Buxton's lighthouse, it wasn't. It belonged to the federal government.
2: It's an exciting morning here. We're live at Cape Hatteras, and uh, we're going to have all sorts of folks to talk to. It's
1: the not move not began yet. on June 17, 1999. Over 200 journalists swarmed to Buxton because nothing like this had ever happened before. No one had picked up a 4,800-ton lighthouse and moved it over half a mile. People called it the move of the millennium.
2: Make sure they know we're rolling the tape from the truck. You're hearing
1: tape from a documentary made by a local TV station.
0: Already there have been 1,800 visitors to the park this morning. That's about double what they usually see coming here this time of year.
1: The park service put an orange fence near the base of the lighthouse, and tourists lined up along it. Locals sold them t-shirts and hot dogs as everyone waited anxiously.
3: Brian, what do you think about the lighthouse? What do you think about it? (laughs) It sure is big. It sure is big. How are they going to move that? Can they pick it up?
0: I'm sorry, but it's heavy. It is heavy. It's very big. The process was pretty simple. First, the engineers cut through the granite base of the lighthouse. Then they slid seven giant steel beams underneath it. The beams created a new foundation, a grid under the lighthouse. OK,
2: open your number one pressure at 44
0: then they rolled wheels under the steel grid and using hydraulics they lifted the whole thing up onto a track leading to the lighthouse's to new keep home a close watch
3: now up we go right. hey, coming up okay the lighthouse is up off the shoring. she's on our jacks.
0: the engineers were all ready to roll they pulled a giant lever and the lighthouse started to
1: inch forward if you were there that day in the crowd, this all would have looked anticlimactic yeah, right. because the lighthouse moved so slow. That was it. Oh, yeah. I can't believe it!
0: Can you see it?
1: You couldn't even tell. The rangers had to put markers along the track just so you could be sure that it did, in fact, move.
0: It's just going real, real slow. Oh, yeah, now I see it. Cool. And you're lucky to be here to see it. At the end of the first day, the lighthouse had only moved 10 feet. This whole process would take weeks. Oh, my word. It's still going, going, yep. Slowly but surely. Bruce remembers showing up one day near the end of the move. He saw Danny coming towards him through the crowd.
4: Danny told him, they're moving it too fast. I'm I'm stunned. I said, uh, what's wrong with moving it too fast? He says, look, every restaurant is... Making money. Every hotel is making money. We have never had crowds like this ever before. And he said, uh, if you can just slow it down till September, we'll all be rich. <laughs> slow it down. Slow it down. Slow it down. Got five inches
3: to go. Four inches. Three inches. Two inches. Inch and a half. One inch. Lie. Hey, that's it, baby. Whoa, right there.
1: As the lighthouse inched to its new home, it was again 1,600 feet from shore, the exact same distance it was in 1870, before the sea washed the beach away.
0: Before the move, the people of Buxton felt something terrible and undemocratic was happening to them. These out-of-towners were destroying the heart and soul of their island. The community fought hard, and they lost— But in a strange way, things actually worked out for them.
2: I look back at this, you know, after this is all said and done, was moving that lighthouse the right thing to do? Yes, it was. Danny got a ton of business from the tourists.
0: His repair shop and gas station had never done so well. So he's had a complete change of heart. And he's not alone. In fact, most people think that the move was the best thing that ever happened to Buxton.
2: Something as monumental as moving America's lighthouse put us on a national radar, on an international radar, and people started thinking about the Outer Banks. It was a raging success.
1: Danny doesn't look back now and see the move as a cowardly retreat. He sees it as a testament to human ingenuity. This all makes Oren hopeful, because if Danny can change his views, maybe others will too.
3: You know, I think the moving the lighthouse was a profound event in terms of our response to sea level rise. I think the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse is kind of a good example of what we're going to be doing a lot in the future. If you can move a
0: 3,000 or whatever it is, a ton lighthouse, you can move a lot of cottages. But it's not just lighthouses and beach cottages. There are thousands of miles of vulnerable U.S. coastline. The battle of Buxton is just a preview of the tough choices we'll have to make.
3: We have three thousand miles of barrier island shoreline, so whatever happens here is also happening in Galveston, and also is happening in, in Myrtle Beach and and Jekyll Island, Georgia, and they're all going to be asking for money from the feds. We need money. We need money. We need to nourish the beach, or we need to we need help building a seawall. But it it ain't going to be there. That's why retreat is important.
1: By the year 2100, at least 500 US communities will be at risk from sea level rise, including major cities like Miami and New Orleans. That's according to the Union of Concerned Scientists. And then there's the millions of people in other parts of the world, in countries like Bangladesh or the Solomon Islands, that are already being badly affected.
0: If people get this worked up about a lighthouse, imagine how hard it'll be when we start talking about moving entire cities. How can you do that fairly, and in a way that doesn't devastate communities? We're going to be fighting this battle over and over again.
1: And after all of this, the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse will probably have to move again. It might last 100 years at its current location, but some scientists say it could be even less than that.
0: This episode was made in partnership with 99% Invisible. It was edited and produced by 99PI's Delaney Hall. Mix and technical production by Sharif Yusuf, and music by Sean Rayal. On our side, it was produced by Gordon Kadic and edited by Sam Fenn, with further editing support from Josh G.D., John Woodside, and Alexander B. Kim. Special thanks to Mike Boer, Phil Evans, and Stavros Avermedis as well as W L A R T V for letting us use their documentary, The Cape Light, Away from the Edge. Thank you to the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council for providing support to CITED, as well as to the Pacific Institute for Climate Solutions for supporting this story. CITED is produced out of the Center for Ethics at the University of Toronto, which is on the traditional land of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendette peoples. Sighted is also produced out of the Michael Smith Laboratories at the University of British Columbia. That's on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Thanks for joining us. Tune in next week.